We're in the middle of discussing the various malachas which are involved in the preparation of the skins which we use in the Mishkan. So we spent a few Mishnahs discussing Tzeda, trapping an animal. That was the first stage to get the hides of the animal. And in the previous Mishnah, we also discussed Chivel, when one bruises an animal, which according to many is a tolda. It's a subcategory of the malacha of shaykhet, of slaughtering the animal. And now in this mission we go on to discuss the malacha of ma'abidus oirei, where the animal skins are tanned, that's when they are soaked in a water solution which is mixed with lots of salt. And that's sort of the first stage in making it into leather. And the truth is the mission is not discussing animal hides at all. In fact, we're not even discussing a tolda of this malacha. Rather, the focus of the Mishnah is a particular decree midirabonon against doing a particular activity because it is similar to tanning the skins, the hides of the animal. And that activity is pickling food, pickling vegetables, putting them into a salt water solution in order to improve the vegetables and make them last longer. So although that is not done on the animal hides, you're pretty much doing a very similar activity just to food. So because of its similarity, the Rabbonon decreed that this is forbidden, but as we're going to see, it's only forbidden if it's similar to the act of tanning the hides. And because of that, the Mishnah says, In Oisin Hilmi B'Shabbos, one may not make Hilmi on Shabbos. Hilmi is the regular pickling solution which was used. And the way it was made is that there would be some salt in a utensil, then you would add water to the salt, there was a very large amount of salt, and then after that was all mixed together, you would add in a little bit of oil as well. So that is forbidden, however, one is still allowed to make a little bit of salt water, as long as he only makes a little bit and he doesn't add oil, the tail behind pitai, and he can use that to dip his bread into it, or he can put that solution into a cooked dish, as long as the solution is slightly different to the regular tanning solution or the regular pickling solution, so he puts less salt in, so in that scenario he is allowed to make it and use it as long as it's a small amount. However, Abiyasi asks a very strong question. Omar Abiyasi, Abiyasi said, Surely at the end of the day this is considered Hilmi, this is considered a pickling solution, whether there's a lot of it or a little bit of it. What's it going to help making just a little bit of it? If we allow you to make a little bit of pickling solution, or a little bit of salt water, just not a lot of it, then people will come to saying and believing that I can do any malacha, just a little bit of it. I can plant just a few seeds as long as I don't plant a lot of seeds. Of course that's not true. So why over here are we allowing you to do a little bit of it, but not a lot? Now the Chachom would answer that the difference between doing a lot of it and a little bit of it is that when you do just a little bit, it's not considered similar to tanning the hides. Especially if you don't add oil and you add a bit less salt, it's not similar, so therefore it's not forbidden. But Rabbi says, you're right that the Chachom only decreed it in a case where it is similar to tanning the hides, but how did that manifest itself? What type of salt water is still permissible because it's not considered similar to tanning the hides? Not like you say that you just do a little bit of it, rather the whole solution has to be different. You should first add oil to water and then add the salt into that mixture. Or add the oil into the salt and then add the water. So if you make the pickling solution in a different way, so it won't be as good quality. And then the actual solution is different, and so only in that scenario is it not considered similar to tanning hides, and only then would it be permitted according to Rabbi Mishnah Gimel. The Mishnah now goes into other halachas to do with food items, and specifically it discusses refuah on Shabbos, things which one does for healing purposes. 
And of course, if somebody is ill such that there is a danger to his life, or even if there's possibly a danger to his life, then he can eat, drink, or do anything on Shabbos in order to keep himself alive. However, somebody who is not deathly ill, Midirabonon, he may not have medicine or do things for healing purposes on Shabbos. And the reason for this decree is in case he comes to grind and crush herbs, which were often used for medicine in those days. And that is forbidden Midiraisa on Shabbos. Now the truth is, even if somebody is not deathly ill, just that without taking the medicine, he needs to go to bed. He can't really function at all, so the Rabbonon did not include him in their decree, and therefore somebody like that would be able to take medicine on Shabbos. The Mishnah discusses somebody who is not even on that level, he's not forced to go to bed or anything, so what can he eat to cure himself? When we not eat a Zoyvion on Shabbos, this is a type of hyssop plant, and it was used in order to cure a disease where somebody had worms in his stomach or intestines. Reason being that lafish inimachal bariem, because this is not a food which healthy people ever eat, and therefore it's very clear to everybody that he is eating it for the sake of medicine. And that really is the only reason why he is eating it, and therefore it's forbidden. But he can eat your ezer, which is a type of plant which is used to heal worms in the liver. If somebody had worms in the liver, they would eat this. But also certain healthy people would eat this as well. So therefore this person is also allowed to eat it. And he can drink abu which is some sort of solution which one would drink if he had previously drank a cup of water which had been left uncovered, and therefore there's a danger that a snake had emitted some poison into that drink. So to escape that danger, to sort of heal himself from that, he would drink this solution, and these two things are permitted because they are not only used for healing purposes. As the mission now says, All food which people regularly eat, one is allowed to eat even for the sake of healing purposes. And all drinks one can also drink, because even if he wasn't ill, he might be doing so. Chutz made the column, except for water which came from a very specific and known well, which was situated in between two palm trees in a certain place in Eretz Israel, and it was known that this water had certain healing properties. Chutz Karim and a cup of a solution made of roots from specific herbs and vegetables. Again, this was only drank by people who needed it for healing purposes. As the Mishnah says, because they were usually drank for the disease called jaundice. So if this person looks ill and he is drinking this solution, it's very clear that he is doing it for healing purposes. But the Mishnah says, who made the column, it's my, he is allowed to drink this water which comes from the well between the two palm trees for his thirst, meaning somebody who is not ill He's allowed to drink this if he is thirsty, because since he looks healthy, people won't immediately assume that he is doing it for healing purposes. The Soshem and and one is also allowed to rub oil, which is mixed with these roots. Shaloli Rufu are not for the purposes of healing, since if he looks healthy, people won't immediately assume that he is doing it for healing purposes, since this did have other purposes as well, and therefore that would be permitted. So to summarize, something which is regular food can be eaten by anybody, even if he is ill, and even if he is intending for it to be used for healing purposes. Something whose only purpose is for curing and healing cannot be used by an ill person, unless he is forced to go to bed if he doesn't have it. And something which has multiple purposes, but whose general purpose is for healing, cannot be used by an ill person, but it can be used by a healthy person, not for the sake of healing.
Mishnah Dalad continues the Mishnah on the theme of Refuah B'Shabbos, doing things for healing and curing purposes on Shabbos. HaChishish B'Shinov, one who has a toothache, Lo'yigamah B'Hanes HaChimetz, may not fill up his mouth with vinegar in order to heal the toothache, because it is obvious that that is why he is doing it. Because no normal healthy person would do the same. But he can dip things into vinegar in a regular way. For example, he can have bread and dip it in vinegar and put that in his mouth. And then if he gets healed by doing that, then great, he can get healed and that's totally fine. The point is, he can only do something which is regular, but not something which is obviously for the sake of curing himself. Continues the Mishnah, One who has pains in the area of his stomach and above his hips, He cannot rub wine or vinegar on his body, because once again, the only reason why somebody would do that is for curing purposes, or to make him feel better. But he can rub oil on his body, because people who are healthy would also do that. However, Valeshem and Vered, he cannot rub oil from roses on his body, because that was very valuable and expensive, and so even healthy people would not do that. It was only really used for healing purposes, so once again it will be forbidden. But of course there's an exception to that as well. Princes and other very wealthy people, they can rub oil from roses on their wounds. Shekain daikom losuch bachol. Because it's their regular way, it's common for them to rub that on their bodies on a regular day, even when they are healthy. So it is not obvious that they are doing it for curing purposes, and therefore for them it is permitted. Now, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says a very fascinating and beautiful thing, and that is, The entire Jewish people are considered princes. We all come from kings of people. We're descended from the Ovis. We ourselves are considered to be royal. As the Torah says, we're a mamleches kayanim. Every Jew is part of the royal family, even down to deciding what the law should be, such that any law which applies to princes applies really to every Jew, according to Rabbi Shimon. The subject of the next two Mishnahis are two Malachas, Kesher, which means tying, and Matir, which means untying. Now, one is only liable for tying a permanent knot on Shabbos, and that's known as a Kesher Shal Kayoma, a knot which one ties to last forever, he doesn't intend to untie it later on. And the Gemara gives a couple of examples. These are knots which one would be chayev for tying them. Kesher hagamolin, a knot which camel drivers would tie. They would make a hole in a camel's nose and then tie a strap or a ring to the nose, which they could then use to tie a leash to or something. So that was a very strong knot which they would leave there forever, basically. The Kesher Asaponin, and also a knot which sailors would tie. They would tie a very strong knot, which would again last for a very long time. They would basically keep it there forever. And the Mishnah adds that for exactly the same type of knot which one is liable for tying, you would be liable for untying that knot as well. And of course, according to those opinions, that a Malachin at Srikha a malacha not done for its positive, constructive purpose, but rather to sort of get rid of something. According to the opinions that one, that one is exempt from a malacha in Sricha one would only be chayev for untying a knot if he's doing it for a constructive purpose, such as to tie a better knot. But not if he just doesn't want the knot, then it would be considered a malacha in Sricha for which he would be exempt according to many opinions. Now, there are some Rishonim who understand the two examples which the Mishnah gives, the knot which you tie on a camel and on a ship, as teaching us that one is only liable for tying a knot if it is a professional type of knot. It's not an easy knot to tie, and according to that, if somebody ties an easy knot to tie, permanently, he wouldn't be chayev. 
But that is a machleks in the Rishonim. As to whether it's enough that it not be permanent, or whether it also needs to be a professional knot, in order for one to be chayav for tying or untying that knot. Now, Rabbi Meir adds a leniency here. Rabbi Meir says, Any knot which one is able to undo with one of his hands, even if it was tied as a permanent knot to last forever, if it's one which is easy to untie just with one hand, then in Chayovin one would not be liable for such a knot, since it's not considered a specially significant knot, like those knots which are used in the Mishkan.